0: Welcome to the podcast service of Sydney's FM 103.2, available on the web at fm1032.com.au. Well, we've been looking at the life of Jesus from a whole bunch of different angles. We've seen Jesus as teacher, Jesus as healer, as Messiah, as judge of the world, and as the friend of sinners. Tonight, we arrive at Jesus' Connection with the Jewish Temple at Jerusalem. Now, that may sound like a bizarre topic, but actually, it's one he had a bit to say about, and it reveals some pretty important things about this incredible man. There used to be a large sign on the northern side of the New South Wales town of Cooma, which read, Cooma, Gateway to the Snowy Mountains. And I remember the excitement I felt as a kid passing through Cooma on the way to our annual holiday in the New South Wales Snowy Mountains. My entire body would tingle with expectation as I wound down the window and felt the chilled mountain air streaming across my face. It's one of the most potent early childhood memories I have. But this sense of anticipation I felt going to the Snowy Mountains each year was probably nothing compared with the excitement felt by ancient Jews, as they streamed toward Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival and arrived at the town of Bethphage, gateway to the Holy City, just three kilometres outside of Jerusalem. Once pilgrims made their way up the road from Bethphage to the top of the Mount of Olives, they were greeted by a magnificent panoramic view of the Holy City, just a kilometre or so away. At the front of their view was the huge Jewish temple, a site roughly the size of Stadium Australia. The temple was the centre of Israel's national and religious life. This was where God chose to dwell. It was where sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins could be made. It was where the country's leading teachers could be heard in the vast temple courts. It was also where pilgrims gathered in their tens of thousands, especially at Passover time, to sing and pray to the one true God of Israel. For the devout Jew arriving at the crest of the Mount of Olives and looking down at the Temple of God, this must have stirred up an extraordinary range of feelings of national pride and spiritual awe. And in the midst of this already heightened sense of occasion, toward the end of his public career as a teacher and healer, Jesus paused and told his disciples to do something that sounded suspiciously like the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy about the anointed descendant of King David, the Messiah. Jesus arranged to enter Jerusalem mounted on a donkey. Let me quote the passage from Matthew's Gospel about this incident. This comes from Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphagia on the mountain of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Well, about 500 years before this incident, the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament had predicted that the coming Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. This prophecy was so well known that the disciples must have been bursting with excitement. Finally, Jesus was doing something overtly royal. The excitement spilled over into the crowd of pilgrims as well because they lay down their cloaks and tree branches, which I guess is the ancient equivalent of the red carpet, and then they began shouting together, "'Hosanna to the Son of David!' Now the word Hosanna literally means, Lord save us now. And when combined with a reference to the son of King David, this expression carried powerful overtones about the arrival of a kingdom that according to the prophecy of Zechariah was going to extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now what the Gospels are describing here then isn't a simple three cheers for Jesus. This was a significant public parade declaring this man from Nazareth to be the heir of the coming kingdom of God. For the first time, Jesus' authority as the messianic king was enthusiastically and publicly embraced. It must have been spine-tingling stuff. Now, I'm sure many of you remember that moment back in September 2000 when Kathy Freeman, our girl, burst out in front in her 400-meter final, the hopes of a nation on her shoulders. I remember screaming my lungs out. Now, I suspect that moment pales in comparison to the excitement and expectation surrounding Jesus on this day as he rode into the holy city on a donkey, right up to the great temple of God. But as so often in Jesus' life, he reinterpreted this grand expectation in a pretty unexpected way. Matthew's gospel continues with Jesus' dramatic entry into the Jerusalem temple. Let me read Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus here does several unexpected, almost foolhardy things. Any one of these could have landed him in prison, because you've got to remember that like a modern stadium, the Jerusalem temple had paid security guards. Firstly, Jesus drove out those who were buying and selling, we're told. Now, at Passover time, families were required to make individual sacrifices of various animals. Now, rather than bringing your own stock from home, which, if you've travelled a long way, could be pretty difficult, pilgrims could purchase sacrificial animals on site. This began as a service, but was pretty easily abused. When you're stuck at the football stadium without any food or drink, you end up paying $5 for a bottle of water and $8 for a sandwich. When you're stuck at the Jerusalem temple at Passover time without a sacrificial animal, you were pretty much at the mercy of the priestly price. This so outraged Jesus that he drove out all of those buying and selling. He made them pack up their stalls and leave the temple courts. Now, I have no idea how he pulled this off. Because you've got a picture that this main court of the temple, where all these transactions took place, was 150 metres long and 300 metres wide. And it would have been filled with pilgrims. Secondly, Jesus, we're told, overturned the tables of the money changers. These were the temple accountants. And they were in charge of the currency exchange. Before pilgrims could pay their annual dues at the temple, they had to change their coins into just one particular currency. It was called the shekel of Tyre. And of course, there was a fee for this exchange. And this too was open to abuse. And Jesus was appalled. Imagine the scene. Tables overturned one by one. Coins rolling across the temple court. And crowds of the Jewish faithful standing around, gobsmacked at this teacher from Nazareth. Thirdly, we're told that Jesus also overturned the benches of those selling doves. Now, why are these priestly salesmen singled out for special attention here? The answer is, doves were sold to people who couldn't afford the usual sacrificial animals. They were sold to the poor. Dove sellers then were profiteering at the expense of the poor. And they were doing so in the name of religion. Given Jesus' teaching about the obligation to care for the needy, it's no wonder his feelings reached boiling point when he saw what they were doing. He overturned not just their tables, but their seats as well. And once Jesus had everyone's attention in this massive courtyard, he launched into a speech. My house will be called a house of prayer, Jesus said, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now these few words from Matthew's gospel, which are obviously just a brief summary of what he said, make it perfectly clear that Jesus believed the temple had become corrupt. You've got to remember, there were more than 15,000 priests associated with the temple in this period. And Jesus has just described them as a pack of thieves. This is pretty daring stuff. It's difficult to convey just how explosive all this must have been. Jesus hasn't simply interrupted a church service to offer his thought for the day. He's first gone public with his status as the promised Messiah, just as Zechariah had predicted. And then he has denounced the central feature of Israel's national and spiritual life, its glorious temple. Now, tomorrow night, we're going to see that Jesus not only condemned the Jewish temple, he said it was about to be replaced with something completely different. I hope you can join me then because it's a fascinating thing that Jesus says. The point for now, though, is that Jesus claimed to have authority even over the priests and the temple of God itself. Because he was the promised Messiah foretold in the Old Testament, he possessed the authority of God himself. He has the right to to call us all to account, just as he did the Jerusalem priests. He deserves all our praise and worship, just as the crowds recognized that day he rode into Jerusalem. He is the Lord, and in his presence, hypocrisy is not permitted. And worship of him is the only appropriate response. We hope you enjoyed this FM 103.2 podcast. To listen to more great audio, visit fm1032.com.au.